Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, November 19th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what you need to know today. President Biden meets with his North American counterparts, plus the growing global reach of Mexican food. But first, today's one big thing, the latest on COVID booster shots. We're hearing so much about boosters, who's eligible, what shot you can get. The FDA is likely to sign off shortly on the Pfizer booster shot for all adults 18 and older. But many cities and states, like New York City and California, have already made boosters available to all adults. Namanje Bumpus is the director of the Department of Pharmacology and Molecular Sciences at Johns Hopkins Medicine. And she's joining us now from Baltimore with some more answers on boosters. Welcome, Dr. Bumpus. Hello. Thank you for having me. Can we start by just explaining who's eligible to get a booster right now? Yes. Currently, um, if you receive the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine initially, you're eligible for a booster if you're 65 years or older, age 18, living in a long-term care setting, or with certain underlying medical conditions such as diabetes, chronic kidney disease, or also over 18 working in a high-risk setting. If you have received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and you're over 18 years older, you're eligible for a vaccine. Anyone who's received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine at least two months ago, basically. But this could soon change, correct? Yes. So the Pfizer vaccine could soon become available to all adults. And, you know, that may be coming down the line also for the other vaccines as well. But there are places where it has already been broadened and extended um, to all. Do we have data on what provides the best protection for your third shot, especially if you're thinking about mixing and matching? We do not. So the studies so far are small. What we do know is that these vaccines all, you know, work and are efficacious, so they all provide value certainly as a booster, the data suggests. There are some data indicating that if you got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine specifically, that getting a booster dose with one of the mRNA-based vaccines, the Pfizer or the Moderna, could provide an extra benefit. So, you know, if you got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine at least two months ago, there are data suggesting increased benefit of getting um, a booster with one of the mRNA vaccines. Dr. Bumpus, if you're someone who's young or not in a high-risk group, you may be thinking, do I really need a booster? What are the arguments for everyone who's already had two shots to get a third? Yeah, so I think if you're younger, specifically if you've gotten the Johnson & Johnson, I do think that there are data suggesting value for all adults receiving that vaccine to get a booster, either with the Johnson & Johnson or with the mRNA-based vaccines. For adults that receive the Pfizer or Moderna, It's a little bit tricky. I think that um, for the people certainly who are in that 65 and older group, it's it's important and they should talk to their healthcare provider. For younger adults, you know, we really don't have data strongly suggesting that 
younger people that don't have underlying medical conditions or, you know, live in long-term care settings or work in these um, high-risk settings are really in need of the booster, even though they could benefit. So I think it's it's really, at this point, a personal decision for those folks and something to just talk out with their healthcare provider about how they feel as far as their individual risk, other family that they spend time with, because certainly a booster may decrease your ability to, you know, transmit if you do become infected. So I think it's really weighing all all of these things and, you know, talking out with your healthcare provider. Dr. Namanje Bumpus is the director of the Department of Pharmacology and Molecular Sciences at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Bumpus. Thank you. In 15 seconds, we're catching you up this week on all of President Biden's meetings with world leaders. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Usually on Fridays, we wrap up the week in domestic politics. But given how big an international week it's been for President Biden, we asked Axios World Editor Dave Lawler to catch us up on meetings with three world leaders. Chinese President Xi Jinping at the beginning of the week and yesterday, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador came in person to the White House for the first visit of this administration. Hey, Dave. Hi, Nyla. Let's start with yesterday's meetings of our neighbors. What was on the agenda? So basically, there were broad topics to be discussed, economics, trade relationships between the three countries, migration always comes up. There was one deliverable, I guess, which is that Canada and Mexico agreed to donate vaccines in the amount that the U.S. had donated to them at the beginning of the pandemic to other countries in the hemisphere. So there was a deal on vaccines. The borders are now open between these countries, but there are still some policies on the pandemic that were up for discussion. And this wasn't really an in-depth negotiation. As you mentioned, it was the first time the three of them got together. So it was kind of an agenda-setting meeting for them to all hit the big topics, but not necessarily make a whole bunch of news. Of course, the week began with President Biden speaking with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Unlike yesterday, there was a lot of different news conferences and questions. There was not a joint statement or formal agreement at the end of this meeting. Do we know what came of that? Yeah, so this was a very different meeting. This was a meeting that was intended to get the relationship somewhat back on track because there's been a lot of difficulty between the U.S. and China even sitting down together and having a conversation. So this was Biden's initiative to say, we need to set some guardrails in this relationship. We need to be able to talk to one another and we need to be able to work together on some issues like climate change, even if we know we're going to be competing on other issues. And so this, again, as you mentioned, there was not some sweeping statement at the end that we've solved it. But there were signs that there was now going to be more communication between the leaders and that they had maybe come to some accommodation with how they could work together going forward. Axios World Editor Dave Lawler. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nala. I was in London last week, and I must say I was surprised at how many Mexican restaurants were listed on Eater as best new restaurants in the city. But over the last decade, Mexican restaurants have been popping up all over the world, not just in London, but also Tokyo and beyond. Axios Justice and Race reporter Russell Contreras has been writing that growing global reach is giving clues about where Mexicans are migrating and the power of social media. Hey, Russ. Great to be with you. Let's take the first part of this. Is the spread of Mexican food sales solely about migration? No, it's a combination of things. Mexican food and its popularity has grown over the years because of social media. 
It's also grown because of TV and reaches and chefs are moving across the world, really experimenting with foods. But it is also a clue about where people are coming from the diaspora. They're settling in London. They're going to France and they're going to Tokyo and they're bringing their food with them. And so in L.A., that has created a great fusion like the famous Korean tacos. How else are we seeing different fusions of cultures from traditional Mexican cuisine? Well, in Houston, you can get Desi Mex, mixing Indian curries with tacos. You can get Deli Mex in Brooklyn, kosher tacos. And my favorite is a place called Blacksican Cocina here in Albuquerque, which is a mixture of soul food and Mexican food. And this shows that the Mexican food not only evolves where it goes, but it evolves with the people who eat it. It's a food that is basically fusion food all around. That's Axios Race and Justice reporter Russell Contreras. Thank you, Russ. Good to be with you. Before we go, earlier this week, we asked you what memories you had of your favorite children's television show. And it seems like a lot of you are fans of The Electric Company. Thanks for sharing. Tomorrow, we'll be dropping the latest episode of our monthly series on systemic racism, Hard Truths. And we'll be talking about the push to diversify children's programming. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Alexandra Boti, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Sabina Singani, Lydia McMullen-Laird, and David Toledo. Our sound engineer is Alex Sukiyara. Julia Redpath is our executive producer, and Sarah Kailani Gu is our editor-in-chief. As always, special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have the best weekend. Have you heard the podcast, The President's Inbox? It's a deeper dive on the foreign policy challenges facing the United States from the Council on Foreign Relations. Each week, experts help you understand some of today's thorniest global issues, from China's global ambitions to the demise of arms control. Find the president's inbox wherever you get your podcasts.